0: following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. But now as we turn our attention to God's Word, would you read with me Exodus starting 28 verse 1? Uh, We're going to cover through chapter 30 this morning. I'm not going to read all of that right now, but as I jump around, I'll try and keep us all on track for where I am. Exodus 28 starting in verse 1. Bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments they shall make a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twine linen. Skipping to 29, verse 1. This is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish. Jumping to 10, you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. The rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, And burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. You shall take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and take part of its blood, and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, on the thumbs of their right hands, on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar... And of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments, and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Skipping down to 29, verse 38. This is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood, skipping down to 30, verse 7. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it, a regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Would you pray with me? Father, this is an uncomfortable text. And in many ways, an opaque text. Um, and Father, it's, it's uncomfortable to read so much detail, so much sacrifice. But Father, it's your word, and you tell us that your word is profitable, is useful for instruction, for teaching, for training in righteousness. And so this morning, Father, as we look at this passage, I pray that we would see you, that we would see your heart for us, and that we would see Christ. Help us to see and to know our great high priest. We ask these things in his name. Amen. So last week, if you were here, you heard Doug preach on the tabernacle, this tent that Aaron, uh, that Moses and the Israelites were supposed to make and carry with them throughout their wilderness wanderings. Just like there are several chapters on the priest, there are several chapters on the tabernacle what to make it out of, how to make it, how long to make it, how many rings to put in the holes in the tabernacle, and how to pack it up, and how to carry it, and what order, there's a lot of detail about the tabernacle. But Doug focused on what it reveals about the holiness of God, that if God is going to dwell in the midst of this people, there needs to be some separation, because he's holy, and they're not. And the tabernacle was a picture of the fact that there's separation between a holy God and an unholy people. Doug traced this throughout scripture, looking at the tabernacle set up at Shiloh and then Solomon's temple, the destruction of it and the exile. And then he got to Christ where he comes. And in John 2, he says, destroy this temple and I'll build it in three days. And everybody thinks he's crazy because the temple took years to build and thousands of people and one guy is going to build it in three days. But he was speaking of the temple that was his body. Destroy it, crucify it, And in three days, I will rise it again. Jesus says, I am the temple. Everything that the temple signified, the temple was where you met God. That's where you went to worship. That's how you knew you were coming into the presence of God. That's Christ. We come to Christ, not to a temple. He is the temple. And then Doug took it a step further. He said, we are the temple now. We individually are dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. We collectively as a church are being built together into a dwelling place for God. Think about Christ's zeal in John 2 when he's in the temple turning over tables, throwing out money lenders. He cares that much about his home, about the temple of your body. Christ is passionate, zealous for our purity. So temples are are really important. And Doug did a great job last week of showing us that. But temples don't work without priests. It's, It's great to have God dwell in your midst, to be in this holy of holies, but there's all this separation. How do we get from outside to God without a priest? And the answer is you don't. We need a priest. The holiness of God demands that people be cleansed before coming into his presence. And that takes the work of a priest. And so that's what we're looking at this morning who the priests are, what they did. We're going to start out in Exodus looking at the person of the high priest. So what was he? Who was he? What did he do? First of all, the high priest was a representative person. We didn't read this earlier, but listen to a closer description of some of the clothes that the high priest had to wear. This is Exodus 28, starting in verse 6. "'They, the skilled workmen, shall make the ephod of gold.'" of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. The skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and be of one piece with it, of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stones, in the order of their birth, As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. Enclose them in settings of gold filigree. You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. So Aaron, the the first high priest, when when he did his work, when he got dressed for his job, One of the articles of clothing that he put on was this ephod. It was kind of a cloak, uh, and it had a, a belt that you would tie to it, like a bathrobe. But the key feature of it was these two stones that were on his shoulder, these two onyx stones, and on them are written the names of the tribes of Israel. The people of God collectively are represented, and Aaron carries them with him when he offers sacrifice, when he lights incense. He takes the people of God with him as he performs his priestly duties representing them, picturing, as it were, the nation as a whole. But it wasn't just the ephod that had the names. Listen in verse 15 to a description of the breastpiece. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment and skilled work. In the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. It shall be square and doubled, a a span its length, and a span its breadth. You shall set in it four rows of stones." A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first. Many other precious stones, they shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be an onyx, or there shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. And then in verse 29, so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place. To bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So Aaron puts on the ephod, and then he has this breast piece that goes over top of that. He, the high priests wear a lot of clothes when they go about their work, but this breast piece is about a foot and a half square that would sit right here. So it's pretty noticeable if you're wearing it. You've got two heavy stones on your shoulders, a heavy plate with all these jewels on the front of you. So Aaron's not going to forget about this. And on this plate are 12 precious stones, and on each stone, Individually, is carved the name of a tribe of Israel. Aaron carries the people with him. He represents them when he goes about his tasks. He represents them collectively in their names on his shoulders. He represents them individually in the gems on his heart. When I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do was when I got to go see my dad at his office. You know, when you're little, your dad disappears every morning. And then reappears just in time for dinner at the end of the day. And you wonder, where where does he spend all his time? Why doesn't he want to play with me all day long? For me, it was awesome to go because my dad managed a building supply store that included a lumberyard. So there are like piles of mulch and gravel and sawdust and wood and nails and tools. And it was a little boy's dream. One of the things that I noticed when I would go and visit my dad was that he had a lot of pictures on his desk. I thought it was odd. Does, does he really forget what we look like that quickly? He wanted to be reminded of us. He wanted to see us. And he saw us in two different ways. He'd have a picture of our whole family, all of us together. I don't know if it was that Easter picture that we hated to take or all of us together in our Christmas sweaters, but it was all of us together. And then he had pictures of us individually. He had this huge, cheesy, Olin Mills-like head portrait of my mother and then like smaller thumbnails of me and my brothers, but he had us together and he had us individually. And that's what Aaron does when he goes into the tabernacle. He carries the people together on his shoulders and individually on his heart. There's an important principle for us here. Our Christian life is both individual and corporate, We must come to faith as individuals. There's a saying that there are no grandchildren in God's family, and what that means is that your parents' faith can't save you. So children, students, college students, young adults, old adults, are you counting on your parents' faith to save you? It can't. It won't. You have to come to Christ individually. Parents, your faith, your work cannot save your children? What are you doing to teach them about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that someday they know enough to come to him on their own? But we don't just come to faith individually. When we come to faith, we're put into a community of faith. We're put into the church where we live out the Christian faith together. Our Christian life has aspects of private and of public, of individual and corporate this applies to worship in general. There are times for public worship where the people of God gather together to sing, to pray, to hear the word preached, to partake of the sacraments. Times like this when we're all gathered together to do these things. But if this is the only time in your week that you engage the word of God, that you sing, that you pray, if there's no private worship individually and with your family, you're shortchanging yourself in the Christian life. There are times for private confession of sin and public confession of sin, private in, that in our own prayers, in our own quietness. We bring our sins before God, but publicly, not everyone coming and standing up here and saying, well, I lied this many times this week and did all these other bad things. Not that, but if there's no one else in your life to whom you can confess sin, share your struggles. If there's no trusted friend or spouse or pastor that is helping you in the Christian life, You're shortchanging yourself. There are both private and public aspects to our Christian life, both individual and corporate. So Aaron, first of all, the high priest, is this representative person. He stands for the whole people of Israel. But he's also a holy person. He needs to stand apart from the whole people of Israel. He's set apart for a different task. It wasn't enough for him to be like Israel, to be their representative. He also had to be different. He had to be holy. He had to be set apart. And we see this in several ways. The, the clothes themselves that they're making are made with gold, with, with royal colors, with fine linen. It's the same things that are used to make the tabernacle. One of the things about the priest's outfit was that it matched the building that he worked in. The priest visually went with the tabernacle. This is shown especially uh, in, in the official priestly hat. I'm really glad that I don't have an official pastoral hat. Exodus twenty-eight thirty-six: You shall make a plate of pure gold, engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. So when Aaron is dressed, you know, he puts on his ephod, he puts on the breast piece, there aren't any official priestly shoes because the ground is holy, and he puts on his priestly hat, his turban, and on the front of it, right in the middle, is this gold plate that says, Holy to the Lord. Imagine coming in for pastoral counseling, and you're sitting in a chair across from me, or Bill, or Tim, or Matt, and we have this plate on our heads, and says, holy to the Lord. It would be unsettling. There'd be no question about what his role is. You look at the high priest, and you can't help but see that he's set apart. The main condition for the priesthood was that he be holy to the Lord. The problem, of course, is that it's Aaron. He's a man. He's not holy. He grumbles against Moses. He has plenty of other faults and failings in Scripture. How is this man supposed to lead a nation in worship of a holy God? The answer for that is their consecration, their ordination process. Most of what I read earlier was from chapter 29, and honestly, it's uncomfortable to read out loud and probably uncomfortable to listen to. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of detail about which parts of the animal to burn, which parts of the animal to sprinkle on the altar and then to take some of that blood that's collected around the altar and actually sprinkle it on Aaron and on his clothes and on his sons and his son's clothes. Not to mention the washings, the anointings, the offerings. There's a lot of work to set apart a sinful man for the service to holy God. And not just for one day, but for a whole week. Sacrifices. sacrifices and washings and anointings day after day, all before he even starts his job. I mean, he hasn't done anything as high priest yet. This is just to get ready for it. If there was any doubt about the seriousness, the danger of the job that Aaron was about to take, this process would have rid him of those. The high priest was to be a consecrated person, a holy person, a set-apart person. Thirdly, and the job of the high priest, the main job was to be a sacrificing person. So he's a representative person, he's a holy person, he's a sacrificing person. Listen again to verse, or chapter 29, verse 38. This is what you shall offer on the altar. The ordination is done, this is his job description. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And there's all these grain and drink offerings that go with them. But think about it. This is the daily job of a priest. You wake up, sacrifice. You do your work, sacrifice, go to bed. And this isn't even the high holy days or the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the sin offerings, the guilt offerings that people would bring throughout the day This is the brushing your teeth of Aaron's job. This is you wake up in the morning, you sacrifice, brush your teeth to get ready for the day. And then he goes about the rest of his work of sacrificing and leading the people in worship. And then once all of that's done, he brushes his teeth again and sacrifices. The chief work of the priest was sacrifice. Because only blood can atone for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. Something has to die so that God's words in verse 45 are good news. In chapter 29, verse 45, God says, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. If they're not cleansed of their sins, this is terrifying. Because when a holy God comes amidst an unholy people, they're destroyed. Something has to die so that that is good news. I mean, just think, over the years, the number of animals that would have been sacrificed. At least two lambs a day, every day. Rivers of blood. A constant reminder to Aaron, to the other priests, to the people that this, this death, is the price of sin. This is what it takes to set you right with a holy God. I mean, who in here wants that job, right? No one. No wonder the position's hereditary. It's for Aaron and his sons. Nobody's going to sign up to live through a Quentin Tarantino like this. The blood, the cries of animals, the smell of burning hair and flesh all day long. There's no vacation time. Every day, day by day, regularly. This is the price of sin, and this is the work of the priest. He had a more positive aspect to his job, though. He wasn't just a representative. He wasn't just holy. He wasn't just a sacrificing person. But the priest got to be a praying person. Listen again to 30, starting in verse 1. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it, and when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. Scripture tells us that the burning of incense is a picture of prayer. As Aaron burns this incense morning and evening, he gets to see and remember the prayers of the people rising to God. He's reminded to pray. But not just that, he gets to smell the incense. Think about that in contrast to all the death that he has to perform the rest of the day. At the end, he gets to smell the sweet incense. And he's taught that the prayers of God's people are fragrant to God, that they're pleasing to him. A pleasing smell, a fragrant aroma. See, that's the positive side of being a priest. The hard work of sacrifice, nobody wants to do that but to offer up prayers to God, to be taught that it's beautiful when God's people pray. That's the privilege of the priesthood. But so what, right? I mean, we don't have a high priest. You didn't, high, you didn't call priests. You called me and Bill and Matt and Tim. And if we started killing animals on Sunday morning, you'd be really upset with us, I hope. Why are we talking about this? Well, you know where this is going. Just like we no longer need the tabernacle because the true temple has come in Christ, we no longer have the high priesthood because the true and better high priest has come. But often our misunderstanding of the Old Testament says we just forget about those parts. Oh, we we don't need high priests anymore, so why learn about them? We don't understand what Christ did unless we understand the job of the high priest and realize that he did it better. Christ came as our true and better high priest. He's better in every way than Aaron and every other high priest that was ever commissioned. He's a better representative. Remember, Aaron carried the names of the tribes of Israel on his shoulders, on his heart. He carried them with him whenever he performed his duties. But Isaiah tells us that our names are written on Christ's hands, in his flesh, not just on his clothes. But it's not just In that, that that Christ is a better representative, Aaron only represented Israel. He only had the names of the tribes of Israel. Paul tells us in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ represents all men, every tribe and tongue and nation. Christ is the second Adam, the father of the human race, not the second Abraham, the father of the Jews. Christ is a better representative because he represents us all. But he also has a better holiness remember chapter 29 the blood the slaughter the burning putting blood on your ear and hand and foot there were washings anointing sacrifices all of this because the priest was to be holy and he wasn't his holiness had to be worked for it had to be achieved it had to be bought by the life and the blood of animals but not christ he needed no sacrifice for atone, to atone for his own sin. He needed no cleansing, no washing, no sprinkling with blood. The only similarity between the ordination of the priests and Christ's is the anointing. The priests would have been anointed with oil, signifying their set-apartness, their cleansing, their special commission for the task. But Christ, at his baptism in Matthew 3, is anointed with oil with the Holy Spirit, not oil, but the Holy Spirit. It descends on him like a dove. He has a better anointing and a better holiness. Christ also offers a better sacrifice. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. When Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. How can bulls and goats take away the sins of men? They can't. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The sacrificial system was never designed to actually cleanse from sin. It was designed to point and prepare us to understand Christ's sacrifice. He offered himself, not by means of the blood of goats, but by means of his own blood. Christ offers a perfect sacrifice himself, but it's not just what he offers, but where he offers it. Did you catch that in the text? The author says, not in a tent that's made with hands. Why would coming to a bunch of fabric, why why would that do anything for sin? Christ enters into the true holy place, the throne room in heaven, the true holy of holies. Not a tent made with hands, but heaven. That means it's finished. Christ has offered the perfect sacrifice in the perfect throne room. It is done. We don't need to sacrifice anymore. We don't need priests anymore. We don't need a temple anymore because the work is finished. He is better. He offers a better sacrifice. He has a better holiness. He is a better representative, and he's a better intercessor. He's a better prayer for us. Aaron had to sleep. Aaron had sacrifices to make, but not Christ. Christ's work of sacrifice is done. He sat down. He who watches Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The author of Hebrews tells us that he always lives to make intercession for us. And Paul in Romans tells us that he is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Christ continually, perpetually, powerfully prays for us before the Father. Christ is better. He's the true high priest. He's a better representative with a better holiness who offers a better sacrifice and prays for us better than Aaron ever could. So what does that mean for us? How do we respond to our high priest and the work that he has done? Well, it means that we live as priests. This is one of the key doctrines of the Reformation, the priesthood of all believers. It means that you don't need to come through me or Bill or Matt or Tim to get to God. You don't need to come through the religious professionals to pray, to have your sins forgiven, to read your Bible, We have the privileges of a priest. Christ has opened the way into the holy of holies and all of us, not just the high priest, get to enter. So if we're all priests, what does that mean? What are we to do? Well, it's the same as priests have always done. Pursue holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Just as the priests in the Old Testament were to be holy, just as Christ had perfect holiness, just as he cares in John 2 about the cleanliness of the house of worship, he cares about your holiness. We should care about it as well. We're given his holiness. We don't have to earn it. We don't earn anything by it, but we are to pursue holiness. We are a kingdom of priests, and we are to be a holy people. Priests also sacrifice, and we sacrifice not bulls or goats or rams, but ourselves. Listen to Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. The word, the particular word that Paul uses for sacrifice here is the same as that regular sacrifice of a lamb twice a day. It's the same word, Old Testament and New Testament. And this is the way John Currid, the man who taught me the Old Testament, explains it. He says, why Paul uses this word is clear. The Christian's entire life is to be consumed by service to God. Believers are simply to dedicate themselves wholly to God in whatever they do. No matter what we do, it is to be for the glory and service of God. Whether it be vocation or vacation, it is to be done for the honor of God. We are not to take care of our religion on Sunday and then do what we want throughout the week. All of life is worship. There is to be an all-consuming vibrancy and urgency in our labors for Christ. So as a kingdom of priests, we pursue holiness We sacrifice ourselves, our lives, as living sacrifices, and we pray. We have the privilege of praying boldly. It's not just Aaron who gets to pray and enter into the Holy of Holies. It's not just your pastors and elders who get to pray, all of us. We all have the privilege of offering the fragrant incense of our prayers to God himself. Lest we end with a lot of things that we should do, uh, let me end with something that we take comfort in. I know that many of you, not, not from conversations, I haven't, I haven't talked to you about this, but I know that there are people in here that struggle with assurance of salvation. You wake up in the morning and think, is this Christianity thing real? Have we all been duped? And if it is real, am I in? Do I love God enough? Do I love Christ enough? Have I worked hard enough? Do I really belong in the family of God? This doctrine of the priesthood of Christ, his finished work, is of huge comfort to us in our assurance. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see what the author bases his assurance on, we have confidence to enter by his blood, by the new and living way that he opened, through his flesh, since we have a great priest. Therefore, let us draw near. Not because our devotion is so sincere, not because our love is so strong, not because our lives are so much in order, but because of him, because we have a great priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Christ is your high priest. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have such a high priest over the house of God, one who passed through the heavens to the true tent, not the one made with hands, but the holy of holies in the very presence of God to offer a perfect sacrifice, a lamb without blemish, without spot. Father, this week help us to see him, to worship him, to trust, and to rest in him. We ask these things in his name. Amen.